Hi, I'm Matt McClory, lead pastor alongside my wife, Jill, here at Colonial Church in St. Augustine, Florida. Wanted to welcome you to Colonial Church's podcast. We are a church that believes in Jesus and people, which means we believe in you. So why not today subscribe to this podcast and choose to grow your life spiritually and in all the other ways as well into everything that God has got for you. God bless you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This past week, all through our young people for for a long time after this, and so very cool. Like I said before, we're in the middle of Friends and Family Month and we are right in the middle of it and it's been amazing. Hope you've been enjoying it, the different messages from different people and um, I'm excited that's continuing today. We have some great friends with us. Um, This is the first time that we've had Donna Pisani preach in our church, which is so cool. We're going to get her up in in a moment, but I'm going to give honour where honour is due. Her husband and her have pastored a church in Washington, D.C. for the last 30 years. And um, it's a, it was an amazing church. They've just transitioned into another church, which she's going to talk about in a moment. But Donna and Dennis are absolutely incredible. Uh, it's a Hillsong family church, so very like-minded in so many ways. Um, but we are just so grateful, I think, to lean in to such great pastors this morning and so grateful 30 years of ministering in a place that's not the easiest place to minister and to toil that soil. And we just know that that place is better now because you guys planted a church in Washington, D.C. And so can we stand and can we give it up for Pastor Donna Pisani? She comes this morning to preach the Word. Okay, wait a minute, though. Um, While you're still standing, I think you guys, do you realize what an incredible gift you have in your pastors? I mean, really. They, um, I think what I love the most about them, because we've traveled all over, is that they're pure-hearted. They're not about, like, the platform or celebrity or being known. They're real pastors, and they love you guys. I've only been with them less than 24 hours, and they just have talked consistently about how much they love you as a church. So I think we should really thank God for them and give them honor. An amazing, amazing gift. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys. And um, go ahead and give someone a high five and tell them you live in paradise. So, I know you do. I'm a little jealous. I live, I live 12 blocks from the Capitol, and um, I have loved living in the city, but there's nothing like a sunset on a beach, or, a, yeah, it's just, I'm jealous. So, we're moving next week here. No, just kidding. <laughs> I do have a book in the bookstore called The Power of Not Yet. Is anybody stuck in the middle right now? Nobody. Y'all are it. Wow. Does anybody feel like you're stuck in the middle of a miracle? Anybody? Raise your hand. Yeah? Who else? Oh, right here. Let me give this to you. Yeah. Um, And who else would like one? Go buy it. Uh, I'm going to, I'm so excited about this message. I'm going to jump into it in a minute, but I wanted to share a picture of my family first. I have a couple of my kids watching online. If you're watching online, welcome. We're so glad you joined us today. Go ahead and put in the comments line, plot twist. In a minute, we'll talk about that. But here is my incredible, beautiful family. And um, for those that are, for those children that are watching, you already know this, but the two on the end are our favorites. 
because they are the only ones with grandkids? <laughs> Any grandparents in here, you know what I'm talking about? Um, and so they have two, which I'll show you in a minute. There's me, and then there's Gabby and Colby. They just got married a year ago, and they are... So we just love all of our kids. We have amazing kids. They've all been at staff at some point, but they are. this is my heart in a frame. And there's my husband of 43 years. He is my, I know, right? You can clap or not clap. What do you want to do? Yeah. <laughs> he is... Um, he, he is my anchor, he is solid, he is amazing, and um, we are still in love after 43 years. And the amazing miracle is we didn't end up in prison or killing each other, so that's the best. We, we do, we love each other. And at the very end, which I've saved for the last, are my two single children. And I'm putting that out there because I'm, I'm into Jesus arranging marriages, so if you're interested, come see Pastor Matt after the service. <laughs> Um, Jessica, who's next to my husband, is incredible. She's amazing, and she's an entrepreneur. And so if you have a son, as long as he's not living in your basement, we're good. <laughs> and then our son is 25 and has a calling to ministry and a pastor. So this is my family. Let me show you a picture of my two grandkids who are our favorite humans. And are, they're, I know, right? So all of our money is going to them right now. So. <laughs> but I want to talk this morning for a few minutes about plot twists. How many of you love a movie with a good plot twist? Yeah, like if, there's a few older folks in here. How many of you remember Psycho? Yeah? It wasn't just somebody you called somebody. It was actually a movie. And how many of you loved, um, how about Born Identity? Yes? We had people like that in our church. You know, we lived. <laughs> and then how about Marvel movies? Yeah? Some of that last one especially, like, what? He died? Sorry. <laughs> How about Inception? Like, what was the plot? Right? Or Interstellar. Was there a plot with Interstellar? Do I have any sci-fi people? All of those. My personal favorite, though, is Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> the reaction in the room. Every man's like, what? There was a plot to that? <laughs> Every woman's like, Mr. Darcy? Okay, never mind. This is the wrong room. So I love how God uses plot twists throughout the scriptures. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, it is one big plot twist. I mean, when you consider the fact that God used David and Moses and they were murderers, that's a plot twist. Or the fact that he used Rahab to be the grandmother of David and in the line of Jesus and she was a prostitute? Really? And how about Jacob? He was a deceiver. Who here would have bought a used car from him? Not me. And I would never have put Peter on my church staff because he was untrustworthy. But God consistently threw in a plot twist in the middle of the story in a way that we never would have expected. So as I told you, my husband and I live on, live on Capitol Hill. Um, we, are in the, we just, last Sunday, transitioned our church of 30 years into another church, National Community Church. Mark and Laura Batterson have been friends of ours for over 30 years. And we never built our church with the name of the church being precedent, but Jesus. So we were fine with giving them all of the people in our church. And what we gave them was a 30-year legacy of surrender, prayer, miracles, life transformations. We handed it over to another pastor 
because we're going to spend the rest of our lives speaking into leaders and pastors and using that 40-year experience. But we have lived on Capitol, all that to say we've lived on Capitol Hill for the last 20-plus years. And my husband and I, married 43 years, still love date nights. It's still important to us to go out and keep our marriage fresh. So about six months ago, we're going out to dinner. And as we're crossing the street to get into my car, because we live on Capitol Hill, there's no... How many of y'all have a garage and a driveway? We only had street parking and millions of dollars in parking tickets. Anyways, so we're crossing the street, and my husband begins to tell me, hey, there's been an uptick in carjackings, and I want you to be safe, which is his mojo. He wants me to be safe. He's like, so I bought you some pepper spray, to which I said, "Uh, I don't need any pepper spray, super spiritual woman. I'm just going to pray in the name of Jesus, and they're going to bow their knee, and I'll be fine. And Dennis is like, no, I got you this pepper spray, and I want you to keep it in your car. So while he's talking, I'm kind of like, I'm fine, Dennis. And because I'm a driven woman, I'm crossing the street to get to the car to go to dinner, unaware of the fact that he has pulled the pepper spray out, has put his finger on the trigger button, and he's like, this is how it works. And he had pushed the button. So I'm unaware that what I'm walking into is a cloud of pepper spray. I am now in the middle of a Capitol Hill street. There's traffic, and I'm blind. I'm crying and crying. And so Dennis, because he's my safe, secure, saving husband, is trying to keep me from being hit by a car. So now he runs out to save me, and he is now in the cloud of pepper spray. And so the two of us are standing in the middle of a street. Cars are honking. Neighbors walking by. Nobody's helping us. We're just out there crying. We're blinded. We can't see. And we feel our way back into the house to finally get our sight restored. But this reminded me that I think because the last three, two to three years has been so difficult in the world that perhaps some of us almost feel like we've had pepper spray sprayed in our eyes. And so we're not super open to another plot twist. Because there was a pandemic, there's been social unrest, there's been political unrest, there's been so many natural disasters and so, many, so much devastation. And not only is it something you see on a screen six feet from you, it's in a screen in the palm of your hands. And every morning you wake up, there is something else happening. And mental health experts have actually said that the entire culture right now is experiencing a form of PTSD. And so because of that, this culture itself is either experiencing, there are people that are depressed and dealing with anxiety, and then there are people, there are some people that are thriving in the middle of it. But the majority of the culture right now is experiencing something that they've now termed the middle child of mental health, and it's called languishing. And languishing means this, I'm numb. I can't get super excited. I was passionate about some things, but now I'm afraid to get too passionate about anything because there might be a plot twist. And I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I kind of am staying in a safe place right now. And God may have a plot twist for your life, but you're not so sure you're ready for it because of everything that's just happened. So I want to reignite a hunger and an excitement for the plot twist that God has for your lives, Colonial Church. God has something amazing in store. Everybody say plot twist. You say plot twist. 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 You didn't have your coffee. Oh, none of y'all. Just I I need you to say it one more time. 
So we're going to find this one plot twist I want to share. It's a little bit different. Maybe I'm going to tell this story in a different way than what you're accustomed to. If you have a Bible, open with me to Luke 10, verses 25 through 27. And I would like to say this. If you're a note taker, go ahead and take notes, whether it's on your phone or paper. If This is what we used to say in our church all the time. If you're not a note taker, perfect. Because whether this speaks to you today or not, I believe it will, but it will speak to you somewhere down the line. You're going to need this message. Can you say amen? Amen. Turn to somebody and say, she is talking to you. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Then an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. So this guy's an expert in the law. He's asking Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, and he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, how many of you love it when, when you ask somebody a question and they answer with a question? Do you hate that? Like when, you're, when, you're, when your husband says to you, where do you want to go for dinner? And you respond to him, I don't know, where do you want to go? It's the worst. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just feel like Jesus consistently was asking questions. And when people asked him a question, he often answered with a question. Not because he didn't know the answer, obviously, but oftentimes Jesus will ask us a question. There was over 300 questions he asked in the New Testament. Why? Because it is a realigning. It's for us to pay attention to where we are in this moment. In fact, Jesus wasn't asking questions for information. He was asking questions for transformation. And Jesus right now is not about us as a church just having information unless transformation is attached to it. Can somebody say amen? And so he continues on and and Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But this expert of the law who's very learned, has every kind of doctoral degree you could imagine. Everybody looks to him for wisdom, responds, wanting to justify himself. And he says, but wait a minute. Who is my neighbor? Everybody say plot plot twist. Also, I should give you this side note. There are several things about me. I'm Sicilian. I'm incredibly intense. There's no neutral zone in my life. So you are used to very peaceful, calm pastors. Some of y'all just might, like you're going to leave here. Just turn to somebody and say, it's okay. She's had three cups of coffee already. Just kidding. Jesus now responds to that question that this expert of the law says, who is my neighbor, with one of the most socially charged stories in the Bible. To those of us in America who read this, we read it through an American lens or American context, and we have no idea the depth to the story that Jesus was telling. So Jesus takes up this question from the expert of the law and he begins to tell this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. Well, by this time, it's not just Jesus and the expert of the law who are talking, a crowd has gathered. And everybody in this crowd would know that when Jesus starts telling this story, there's a plot thickening. There's there's something about this story because they knew that the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was dangerous. In fact, it had been named the way of blood because you could almost guarantee that if you were going down this road without protection of some kind, you were going to be robbed or stolen from or hurt in some way. So everybody's leaning in. They're like, this guy should have known. Jesus continues and he says that he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him and beat him up. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we knew this was going to happen. It was pretty obvious. 
He should have had his pepper spray. <laughs> he didn't have his pepper spray. We knew this was going to happen. And for those of us in America just being robbed and stripped, we wouldn't understand. But this guy had his identity stolen. Because in that culture, what you wore was your identity. You could identify a king by his robes. Bartimaeus was blind. He was a beggar. We knew who he was because of his robes. Joseph had three robes changes. Every part of it changed his identity. Your identity, his identity, it was like his social security number and his credit card was stolen. This guy had his identity stripped. And he's on the side of the road, and now everybody's like, oh, my gosh, this is really bad. What's going to happen now? Jesus continues. He says, so the first guy to walk by is a priest. And they're like, yes, the priest. The priest is going to save the day because this is what they do. They do good deeds. But Jesus says that the priest walks along this guy that's been beaten and robbed on the side of the road, and, and he just passes his by. He crosses the other side of the street. Like, well, maybe he had a very important date. He had somewhere to go. And then Jesus says, a Levite comes now. And they're like, oh yeah, the priest didn't do it, so the Levite's gonna do it. But the Levite sees this man, and he himself also decides it's, it's whatever, too much. And so he also passes by and crosses the street. But the next person that Jesus throws into the story would be part of the plot twist because he says a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion on him. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in the wine and the oil. And, and then he put him on his own animal, brought him to the inn and took care of him. Now, to those of us in this room, we're like, oh, it was a good Samaritan. I mean, it, the term good Samaritan has become part of our culture of somebody who does good. But to those of us in America, we wouldn't know that the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were like dogs. The Samaritans were considered like less than dirt. So for Jesus, who was a rabbi, to throw in a Samaritan, they couldn't, it, the priest and the Levite didn't help this man, but the Samaritan did. They couldn't fathom what was happening in this story. And the fact that he didn't just go and help him, he put him on his donkey, he takes him to an inn, he pours in the oil. And then the next day, after this guy's been in the inn being taken care of, it says, the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spent. It's a charged, socially charged story. And I think it's important that we often put ourselves in the story that we're reading in the scriptures. If we don't always understand the context, we'll miss the point. That perhaps this story is that some of life's greatest opportunities will come, come disguised as an obstacle. Or perhaps sometimes that invitation was really an invitation, but it looked like an interruption. That the two people who knew what to do actually walked by because it was an obstacle and it was an interruption. But perhaps they missed the point that the Samaritans saw that it wasn't actually an opportunity and an invitation. Jesus asks this expert in the law, who was my neighbor? And responds with this story. You see, I think this story is not about Jesus trying to tell the expert of the law or us. He's not twisting our arms to be the good Samaritan. I don't think it's a message about you needing to do more. I don't think it's a message about we're the savior in the story. 
Because do you remember the first question the expert asked? How do I get to heaven? And if good deeds is what got us to heaven, then that story would be about this expert of the law being a good Samaritan. But your good deeds doesn't get you to heaven. You're, you could do, you could be the most perfect human on the earth, and that isn't what's going to get you to heaven. See, the other part of this is if we're honest, our neighbor isn't just the people we love, but the people we don't like. Is anybody else in here honest besides? I had some neighbors I really didn't love. Am I the only? St. Augustine, you love your neighbors. It's because it's paradise. And to be honest with you, really, I don't always love the people that I love. Do you know what I'm saying? We've been married 43 years. I'm like, really, three inches further is the laundry basket. Why are your socks on the floor? Sometimes it's hard just to love those people. Keyboards can come and play Good Samaritan music. Everybody say plot twist. See, I think the point of this story is not that we are the ones being compelled to be the Good Samaritan. I think it's the story of a reminder that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. Jesus was the one who 2,000 years ago died on a cross for us, so he pours in the wine, which is his blood, and the oil, which is the Holy Spirit. He is the only one that can bring healing and restoration. He is the only one that can take any of us who are on the side of the road, broken, and needing a good neighbor, needing a savior, needing a Samaritan. You see, the story is that I was the dead guy on the side of the road. And Jesus came at a moment that I was the most broken and didn't deserve it. And he found me. He saw me. I didn't, I didn't even know how to call out to God. He found me. And he poured in the wine and the oil. And he healed me and restored me. And, and I experienced sexual abuse as a child and then lived my life such a mess. I was drinking screwdrivers for breakfast, smoking pot all day. I had numbed the pain, sleeping with anybody I could sleep with that would accept me and love me. I did not have an identity. I had been stripped. And one day, when I was in college, I was going to get high with a friend, and they were lit up, and I was like, tell me what you're taking. And she said, it's Jesus. I was like, no way. Jesus does this? And she had been so transformed. She told me her story of being on the side of the road and when the Good Samaritan came in, and she brought me an invitation. I was not an interruption. I was not an obstacle. And in a moment, I experienced love that I had been longing for my whole life. I experienced healing and health that I had never thought was possible because I met the Good Samaritan. He is the only one that can help us like that. See, I think oftentimes in my life when I become the priest or the Levite and I walk past somebody else who's broken on the side of the roads because I have become far removed from my one day. And I'm convinced that we have to live our lives in a daily remembrance of the one day when Jesus came and met us. 
So the message is first, I need a good neighbor. That's where we find ourselves in this story. But I think we find ourselves in another place in this story. I think that because we were that person who needed the Good Samaritan, the other person we're supposed to be in this story, which nobody ever talks about, is the innkeeper. See, I believe Colonial Church is an inn. It's not a Motel 6. Nothing wrong with that. Not a Holiday Inn even. It is the finest, beyond five-star inn. Why? Because there's perfect people here? Absolutely not. Because Jesus is here. How many of you are so grateful that Jesus brought you to this inn? Because your life has been transformed and touched. You see, I believe the innkeeper was a philanthropist. Now, I have been, I have always said, oh, well, like, when I get an inheritance or when I get, I don't play the lottery, but if I ever played the lottery, like, you know what I mean? Like, when I get millions of dollars, then I'll be a philanthropist. But I believe every one of us in this room is a philanthropist. I'm not just talking about finances, but I believe every one of us is in this room. Like, sometimes we're like, well, if I was Bill and Melinda Gates, some of you may know, I'm not mentioned, I don't care what you think about them, but I'm just saying they gave away a lot of money. Or how about anybody who's a multimillionaire? You know, these days you can't mention any names because every name, whatever. When I get more money, then I can help. When I have more time, then I can help. What can I do? Why well, I have just a little bit? See, I believe there's a, a philanthropist, Christian philanthropist in London, and his name is John Staczynski, and he says that all philanthropy is is asset real allocation. And every one of us in this room has been given an asset of some kind. And he says that the assets are T's. Time, talent, treasure, trust, ties, connections, and technology. Every one of us in here has something that is an asset, and to become a philanthropist, you are just reallocating the asset to give to somebody else. So there's two things I want you to remember at the end of this message. First one is, whatever you have, you've been given. None of us in here are self-made people. Whatever you have has been given from a God in heaven who loves you. See, the Samaritan then goes he brings the broken man to the inn, and then he gives the innkeeper two denarii, which is enough for 60 days' stay. The Samaritan gave the innkeeper a tease to use, and then the innkeeper used those teas to help bring healing and restoration. See, Jesus tells us that every one of us has been given a talent or a tea of some kind. Do you remember the story in Matthew 25 of the talents? Does anybody remember that story? Let me have my, um, who are the volunteers? Just raise your hands. Let me see. Who are you? Okay, not you. Who, uh, you raised your hand? Yes. And then, sir, you're standing there. Uh, you're sitting, not standing. Is, um, right to the left of that pole. Yes? Yeah. Is this your first time here? Okay, come on up then. <laughs> and did you have your hand? Okay. And who was, who was, Earl. Earl, come on up. Earl, let's pick somebody from this side. Um... Let's see here. I can't take too much time. <laughs> okay, come on. All right. So, talents. Okay, so I'm giving you $5. Okay. 
I'm giving you 50, and I'm giving you 20. How many of you have ever read that story about the talents and ever felt like, like, I always felt like I'm the one with the five. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he gave me five, and I always compared myself with other people. Like, if I only had the, if I only had the 50, if I only had the 20, if I only had, then, but you know, the story goes that each of them was given talents, money, gifts, whatever you want to call it. And the two that were given the most amount, they reinvested what they were given and multiplied it and more came back to them. See, the only way you can grow your gift is to actually use it. But the guy that was given the smallest amount, he thought he misunderstood who God was. He thought God was a harsh taskmaster. And so he hid what was given to him. But I want to, who had the five? You had the five. But I, here's the thing. You're hiding it. <laughs> I should go a long way. It's the difference between being entrusted and entitled. So if I said to these guys, I'm giving you this money, and they felt entitled to it, they're like, you owe me, that becomes a handicap. It becomes something that disables the gift in you. And so they, would, they don't have to do anything. But if I said to you, hey, I've worked a lot of hours. This is my personal stash. And this is, I don't have a lot, but I, there's a cost to what I've given you. And I'm entrusting it to you. Then the way you handle that gift is completely different. Because you remember that a good Samaritan 2,000 years ago paid a price for whatever you've just been given. And you remember what he did in your life. And so you're not going to hide what he's given you. But out of the love and gratitude for what he's done to you, then you're going to take that money or that gift or that talent or time or whatever it is, and you're going to give it back. And so you've been given 50 but you have way more. Don't, I, you got a serve t-shirt on, so I don't have, I'm preaching to the choir. Use that. And for all of you, you can go buy lunch. But if I were you, I would say you've been entrusted with this to give it to somebody else and use it. Take somebody else to lunch. Do something else. What are you going to do with the gifts you've been given? And you've been given a 20. <laughs> Multiply it. And I gave you the five because you're a multiplier. And I don't know you have some sort of business acumen on you and God is saying because you've been willing to sow and invest in the kingdom God's going to multiply beyond what you could have ever imagined and there's actually I don't know what you do but there's an online aspect to something you do that God's just going to bring to the next it's an idea God's going to begin downloading ideas into you because you are you are a philanthropist in the house of God and you are each of you is a brick that God's using to build the house of God. Come on, let's give them a hand. Thank you. Thank you. So, what have you been entrusted with, guys? What have you been entrusted with? First thing to remember, whatever we have, we've been given. Second thing, and I'm going to close, whatever we give will be rewarded. Say that with me. Rewarded. <laughs> What if everybody who's watching online and every person in this room, dream with me for a minute. What if every one of you remembered your one day? What if every one of us realized that this was an invitation to an overflow? What if every one of you online, you're just in your living room or your car or wherever you're watching this, what if you remembered that what God gave you was precious? That what God gave you, whether you feel like it's small or big, 
is a gift from him. What if all of us used that colonial church? You would be busting out of the seams. This community would not be able to ignore the church because of the Good Samaritan and the one day and you out of gratitude pouring back into a community. In our lives, our lives will be saved, not just from sin, but saved from a wasted life. Everyone say plot twist with me. Say, I am an innkeeper. I need a good Samaritan. I want to pray for you. Some of life's greatest opportunities this week are going to come disguised as an obstacle. Every one of you is going to find an invitation that looks like an interruption. Right when you walk out those doors. I pray that the Holy Spirit illuminates to you, illuminates to you those invitations and those opportunities. Let's go ahead and stand your feet for the worship. Thanks for listening to that podcast. We pray it blessed you and empowered you in all that God's got for you. Why don't you share that with a friend, someone who maybe needs to hear it. We'd love for you to also to visit us um, either online at colonialchurch.life or here at church at 550 State Road 207 here in St. Augustine, Florida. Be blessed.